to RPG Cast. This is number 680, 680 for June 10th, 2023. I am your host, not Riventeer, Phil, aka Phil Willis, aka JC Servant, and the Utah Polygamist. Uh, that extra E makes all the difference, boys and girls. Let me tell you something. Forget that E one time and you're in divorce court. And I've got a trio <laughs> of people who would never go to divorce court for any reason. I got Miss Kelly Ryan. Um, unless he deleted my WoW character, that's a divorce worthy. That that one, that one. Uh, Mr. Uh, Jason Ariola. If I buy the Chrono Trigger on vinyl box set for two thousand plus dollars, it goes for. There will definitely be divorce court in my future. And Mr. Ryan Costa. I've just been so bar- uh, buried under a waterfall of game announcements. I can't go into any court. <laughs> so many game announcements today. So many. Uh, so we got a lot to cover. So we're gonna we're just gonna dive uh, into uh, what we do here. Uh, I believe we like to talk about what we've been playing lately. So uh, how about you, Miss Kelly? Play anything new, fun, and exciting? Um, well, I, I finished uh, Tears of the Kingdom Sunday, and that final fight was pretty epic. Um, without getting into spoilers, um, I'm I'm waiting for my husband to finish the game so that I can talk about it. Uh, but I, I was ready to be done with that game, and now I'm done with it, and I'm going back to Fuga 2. Um, got, got a good ending where I all the kids survived, and now I'm trying to get the bad ending where pretty much all the kids get cannoned. <laughs> um, Just stuff them all in the cannon. Um, and, yeah, and trying to go for the bad ending is surprisingly hard because um, in this game, it, it picks one. When you get down to half health, it picks one at random. Uh, so it's going to be kind of a crapshoot to see how many I've got left at the end of the game. And then I think you have to time it so that the last one fires at the final boss fight. And to trigger the cannoning, you have to get uh, below like half health. So it's going to, and it takes 20 turns to fire. So it's going to be interesting trying to survive that last fight. Um, at half health with 20 turns and getting that cannon to fire. So it's kind of a challenge run and something I didn't do in the last game because there wasn't really any reason for it. But now <laughs> the the end game library said, lists all the endings and that's the only one I have left. And it's like, well, I want to fill out the library before I'm done with this game. So might as well give it a go. So yeah, all, all cannon run. Oh, cannon run. Oh, that's so depressing. <laughs> Who yeah. would be the first to go? Your souls are forfeit. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's like one of those animes where they start off with like seven people in the party and then every chapter somebody dies till there's mm-hmm. just one left. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's especially disheartening because like um, I lost one of the kids with glasses uh, this first run. Or this in this first chapter, and you go to where the ki- the uh, reactor is, and you find the kid's glasses and get picking it up. So I imagine it's all gonna be like that. <laughs> and you know, you're, you're encouraged to sp- spend a lot of time with these characters, so making them die makes it even worse. Um, basically, kind of a furry furry version of Dark Darkest Dungeon, in a way, I want to say. I don't know. I haven't played any of the Darkest Dungeon games. I've just heard that those games are really depressing. They are, but not necessarily in a story way. Ah, 
gotcha. Um, so, so we're going to see how this rut goes. Um, yeah, the characters in Darkest Dungeons don't really have like personalities per se, right, Ryan? Yeah, but uh, in the second game, they do, uh, rather than have multiple of one class, which you can have in the first game, you only have one of each class, and they have backstories. But, uh, like, there's a character, Leper, whose backstory talks about how they became went from being a king to being a leper. So that's a little depressing, but it's mostly how the characters act in the combat with uh, there being a stress bar. So if you get your stress up to 10, there's a much more likely chance they're going to have a meltdown, which loses most of their health, and they just kind of start freaking out. Then they are to be like, we're going to win, we're going to do this. So they're self-depressing. Yeah, the the ones in this game um, can get depressed too, and you basically have to talk to them until they snap out of it. Uh, otherwise, they can't use any of their abilities. Um, kids can also get injured, and the only way you can uh, fix them is to um, ha- have them uh, take take a nap in the dormitory, and that takes up a lot of your action points in the intermissions. Uh, that's not to let them get injured. Question, if um, I may, how does the new uh, injury cannon work compared to, because uh, when I was watching the trailers, it, there wasn't just a, you shoot the cannon and it's instant, when your character's instantly dead, there's a smaller form of that cannon that's less permanent? Yeah, so it, it'll knock out a kid for the duration of the fight, and it, it's 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 called a manigarm, mm. and I always have to make sure I pronounce it right because it looks like man- mammogram. I think we mm-hmm. made that joke before. <laughs> but um, it does a lot of damage, but it is not an instinct because um, in my first run, I hit a really hard boss fight where I w- w- used that as like a last resort and it still didn't do any damage and I lost a kid at that point because I-, I was d- dying. Um so it's kind of a, a oh shit button for lack of a better term, but you're not guaranteed to win a fight. Okay. And and you're probably going to be using it a lot during your first run because the the, the first run was I found was really difficult. Um, and the the downside to using it and why you want to avoid using it is because you don't get any experience for that fight for using it. Mm. So, um. Yeah. Yeah, my my first run through the game was pretty difficult, and then the New Game Plus run, um, I went th- went through a lot of the harder paths, and really took a, sp- spent the time to uh, upgrade all of my facilities, particularly the, the guns and the uh, reactor and the tanks armor and stuff, and managed to get a uh, no kill run on that second try. So, um. Just know that you're going to struggle that first run, but I think you're kind of intended to, and you'll get a door, and then uh, you can go try for the other ones. I found from the first game that uh, that first run you could get away with going through the easier routes, because basically the way the game works is when you're on the map, you have the option to go safe, normal, or hard. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that still the case in the second yeah. one, or can you... Yeah. Yeah, and there's like super difficult paths that you can't even do on your first run. That you're you're locked out of them. Okay. Yeah. Um, kind of an interesting dynamic. Yeah, yeah. I found the first game to be surprisingly easy, and then the second one, the first time through, I had a lot of trouble. Hmm. 
So I, I think that they kind of took some of people's um, criticism to heart that the game felt too easy the first time through because <laughs> it was not easy, an easy time the first time for me. I, I don't know. Your your uh, your mileage may, may vary depending on what kind of decisions you make. But yeah, that's pretty so, much all I've so played. It sounds like one of those games that it, it depends on how much you kind of already know right like once you kind of know how the systems work and what are some of the better choices then it becomes a lot easier mm-hmm. as opposed to like like a game like chess i can know how the game works all i want but the strategies are really deep and it takes forever to master it just seems like you're more it's a knowledge thing like once you know it does it become like a cakewalk then on future runs yeah um like, like for example some of the harder paths um have a lot more uh items to upgrade your facilities um but you know if if you're going through and you're at half health and are are struggling are you going to want to go for that harder path and potentially get some stuff to upgrade or do you want to go the safe route and survive till the next checkpoint you know um that that's the kind of stuff that this game throws and and even my second and third time through doing the uh ultra difficult pads i was still having some trouble with some fights um because some of the, some of those regular enemies get pretty tough the ones that have several different points of armor and have uh char- charge attacks that can really wreck you um you're not just going to one shot some of those harder enemies and, and this was with my party hovering at around the the 50s so now doing my i think this is my fourth time through my characters are having hovering around the 70s so these first maps are kind of a cakewalk but um yeah i'm just i'm gonna see how it goes i i think you would like fuga phil it's it's a very challenging rpg with a really addictive combat system it sounds very interesting and it has a really great look to it I was looking at the screenshots. It's just, it's very uh, beautifully rendered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I forgot when we did the backtrack on it ago that the uh, the the models of the kids are actually rendered because they look so good. They look hand drawn. Mm-hmm. That's what it looks like to me. Yeah. <laughs> so so um, I I think one the first game has a demo somewhere that you might be able to check it out. Um and, and yeah you can I mean. You're you're kind of going to be lost a little bit jumping into the first the second game first because I mean it it is a direct sequel, and plus the first game does a nice job of getting getting you really used to the combat system, um, without too much issue. Um, this this second game is the one that th- throws a lot of the curveballs at you. A quick uh, look both on Steam and on Epic. There's a demo. Yeah. Both of them are also on Game Pass, so. That's something to consider too. I, I don't know if you have Game Pass, Phil. No, no Game know, Pass. Yeah, I know Chris does. So yeah, I don't, I don't know if anybody else that, wants to go. That's, that's why all I have to introduce myself as not privateer because we're often confused. <laughs> well, you're so much alike. Right. Both have cats, you know, that interrupt the stream and stuff and show their butts to the cameras. You know, you both, both like table tabletop yeah, games. Ta- tabletop games, right? So, no, totally understandable. Anything uh, else fun and exciting on your plate? Uh, no, not. I, I put together the P- Pac-Man 
arcade cabinet Lego set after I finished Tears of the Kingdom because I was very video gamed out. So I wanted to assemble something, and that was a fun little build. Ooh, that uh, sounds it, like it, fun. Yeah, it has the Pac-Man maze on it, and you turn the crank on the arcade cabinet, and the Pac-Man and the ghost kind of run through the little maze on the chain, on a kind of a long chain, and it looks really neat. Um, it was a pain to put together, though. My, my fingers still hurt from some of those little pegs. Um, specifically, the pegs for the dots in the maze were, for some reason, really difficult, or not difficult, but tedious to put together. And there were 64 of those little buggers, and trying Ooh. to get them into the board was just an exercise in pain. I put together I, a couple I, of those um, those nanoblock Pokemon things, uh, Pipple mm-hmm. for myself and Eevee for uh, my daughter and a Charizard for my son. Boy, um, let me tell you, that uh, turned me off of the experience of ever doing those again because my fingers were just raw as hell for a day or two after that. That's how yeah. pain those things are. Yeah, I've got myself a nice little Lego callus now from putting together a bunch of different sets, and I, I have a Litten nano block, and even though it's cute, that thing drove me nuts because it kept falling at me. <laughs> and God forbid you make a mistake, and then you got to pull stuff apart to – oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god um so, so the coin slot on the little lego arcade cabinet lights up which is really neat oh. but the way that it's in there was in a spot where there was kind of a weak point where the legos joined and i think i br- broke off pieces about five times trying to get that little sun Oof, and ha- have it not jut out oh, yeah so- this is yeah, no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, getting flashbacks, just sitting there. Like I had to take my contacts out. Um, where, like I, I have like I'm incredibly nearsighted. Um, mm-hmm. and whenever I take my contacts out, I can see really, really well up close, um, better than I can without my contacts. So to do the nanoblock thing, I was having to do that uh, to like be able to like see just where I was getting them in, just right. Except the only problem is I can see about four or five inches in front of my face after that, and the rest is just a you know vaseline blur around the rest of the world so yeah i just was sitting there like staring at these things for hours putting them together and like i no thanks (laughs) my hands were pretty callous at point too for i was a at that point i was still stocking at albertson's so my hands had a fair bit of calluses on them it's just still just you know just that little bit of like these tiny itty bitty bricks that you just you know you're not used to doing anything with and just yeah just tore up my fingers pretty good and they don't lock together nearly as well as the official Legos do. No, either. they don't. No, no, they really no. don't. <laughs> so, so yeah, really flimsy, constantly breaking off. Yet, gosh, you unlocked a flashback. One of the Disgaea sets, that, or Disgaea Collector's Editions, came with a nanoblock version of a printy. Oh, no. And it was a really neat build, but as you know, printies, printies have peg legs in the Disgaea game, so this thing was supported just by, like, two itty-bitty little pegs. And that that thing was just constantly breaking, and I ended up having to put it up because I was afraid I was going to lose all the pieces. It yeah. uh, broke so much. Yeah, when we moved, my uh, son's Charizard got bumped around a few times. Plus, he's kind of a little not destructive, but maybe a little destructive at times, mm-hmm. and would play with it. So <laughs> it's um <laughs> not in a hundred percent completion anymore, but you know it's still whatever. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> but. My Pipple made it just fine, just because it's, you know, got a gigantic head, which is as big as its body, basically. So it, it, it did fine. But, yeah, my daughter's EV seems to be holding up pretty good because they put it on a little, like, you know, like those little, like, green square things for it to 
be supported onto the base or whatever. So mm-hmm. that made it a little bit more stable, but still was a little like, okay, we're just going to be very careful when we move this because I'm not having this one fall apart too. The Litten was pretty stable, but it lost its tail fairly quick. Hmm. Yeah, the Pipple one just is a little top heavy because of how big the head is. So like it's on my desk and if I close the door too hard in my bedroom, my desk is right next to uh, the door. Um, yeah, Pipple will end up face down. <laughs> so. <laughs> Not knock off Lego stuff. Fun. Gotta gotta love them. Yeah. Question mark. <laughs> but I have to admit that that um, Lego Pac-Man arcade cabinet is one of the neatest sets I've put together in quite a while. It's it's got a little uh, display on the top that has a giant Pac-Man and a couple of ghosts, and you press the button and the ghosts turn around to be the blue version of the ghost, and uh, Pac-Man's chasing it. So. Oh, that is cool. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I love the videos. They're just such neat. I, I, I mean, that's kind of Lego in general, though. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, hey, guys, you want to build the uh, the Disney castle for, uh, <laughs> for for your summer vacation? Because it's going to cost just as much to go to Disneyland, so. <laughs> Better um, go with the Legos. The uh, ti- I don't know if you've ever seen the Titanic set, but that one I, I want to say close to like seven hundred dollars, and the, the, bo- the box for it is almost like a shipping box. It's so huge. Oh my god, I can't even imagine. Um, it, it comes in like several different pieces so that you can see the innards of the Titanic. The funny thing is that at the one of the Lego stores we went to, somebody made a Jack and Rose on the door uh, <laughs> display to go right next to it, which I thought That's was great. amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say, does it break apart easily in half? Uh, I don't know. Battle damage Titanic. That's the uh, that's the Lego set I want. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I could talk about Legos all day. All day. What are you guys playing? How about you, Mr. Ryan? I'm still continuing with uh, Darkest Dungeon Two. After my last last week, I made it through a third boss, which was rather difficult or reputedly rather difficult on the first try. I was riding a pretty good high, so I started off on the fourth chapter, went, I'll fight this uh, lair boss. I haven't tried it before and promptly got wiped out. So I went, all right, I'm going to have to think about this a little bit. Ended up going through it again. And uh, lair bosses after the first chapter have to be faced which means on your stagecoach you're uh, going through you have routes to choose as you reach the end of uh, a biome you have four biomes to go through by the end of the fourth biome you make it to uh, the mountain mountains where the boss the final chapter boss is which you need to defeat to make it to the next uh, story beat Uh, the chapter bosses though can't be fought unless you have a trophy from within these uh three fight layers uh layer bosses can be very frustrating in a lot of ways i wanted to at least try uh, each of them out once because uh, there's four different areas you can go through as well so i'm like okay i'm gonna fight this one and it was very frustrating but as a game that basically punishes you for not uh, not being fully prepared and also sometimes not having the mo- the best of luck like there was one time where i i lost an entire run because a character got stunned once 
So I was like, okay, that since that person's stunned, I can't heal. And because I couldn't heal, it got that character just so happened to get hit twice, which means that they got put to death's door, which luckily if you reach zero health, you're still kind of functionally alive. And then there's a percentile chance to find out if they stay alive, if they get hit again or take damage from a damage over time. Those characters take any uh, or lose that saving throw, basically, and they're gone for good. So there are still some uh, funny instances. Like in uh, the third chapter, I've lost every character but one on a one of the final mini bosses, and got a randomized team. That randomized team won. I've had four characters set. Uh, the time I did end up beating this particular lair boss, I lost two of them. So I was like, okay. What are you? And then they gave me two random characters that, again, I ended up beating the chapter boss. So there, uh, it is very balanced in how they give you new characters, as well as uh, a lot of different ways to formulate your teams. Like, they're... Will be some characters that uh, are better front row or back row. It's all the battles basically look uh, side by side. So you have a front row character, two middle, and then a back. And then on the right side of the screen, you have however many enemies you're fighting. So it's just a matter of continuing unlocking stuff, continuing to fight through. I'm hoping the first time I reach the fifth. Uh, chapter boss which is the last one i'm able to uh, complete the game i'm about 50 ish 55 ish hours in there's still a lot of things i could unlock so game's not wanting for content that's for sure so, so this basically sounds like first edition dungeon dragons to me right it's just like you can build your party really well but you fail a saving throw it's have a nice day yeah it definitely has moments where it feels like that you have things like because you're focusing on your health as well as uh, stress. It's when your stress maxes out that if your character has a meltdown, you could be at full health and a meltdown will uh, drain your character's health down to like 5%. So, and your other party members stop liking that character, uh, which can be problematic for later on in the game because positive and negative relationships affect your abilities as well. If you have a positive relationship, they, they become friends. You're, you can use a skill that every time you use it gives the another party member a attack boost simply because they're friends with each other. If they have a suspicious or negative relationship with each other, you use a uh, that particular or a skill that gets assigned to it. You might give one of your party members a uh, stress boost of one. So the game's constantly making sure you're on your toes with everything. And that is very similar to first edition uh, Dungeons and Dragons. And you could have moments where it's like, okay, I finally broke through, got a critical hit, but I also rolled the lowest amount of damage possible. So the critical hit only did six compared to the highest of being like 26. Interesting. And, um, uh, are you still feeling it or do you feel like you're getting burned out and frustrated or is this driving you forward because it's a fun challenge? It's driving me forward so far because it's a fun challenge, but it, I do admit that if it takes me a few attempts to beat this final chapter boss, uh, each run, it's a roguelike, so you start at the beginning every time you die, you go through, you get 
candles they're called to uh, upgrade your skills, unlock new trinkets, uh, new items to use at an inn, which uh, whenever you get a break at an inn, you can do things like, you know, I eat bread to give 20% uh, extra health until the next time I reach an inn, that kind of stuff. But uh, when you start through, you go through everything, it can take three to four hours to make it to the end boss. And if the end boss happens to be difficult, it's like, okay, just to re-attempt that fight will take another four hours. So that will get frustrating. If uh, I'm not continuing my luck on first or second attempt, I win. Interesting. Cool. I'll look forward to the full write-up when it's all done. Play anything else fun and exciting? Not on my end. It's been all game announcements outside of that. So many announcements. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, how about you, Mr. Jason? I've just kind of been continuing my time with Far Cry 6. Um, I started, originally when I played it, I was playing on the normal mode, and I found myself dying quite a bit because I'm not, let's say, proficient at uh, any first-person shooter outside of Rainbow Six Vegas for some ungodly reason. I took to that thing like a, a duck to water. Mm-hmm. Um, so I bumped this down to easy, and now that I'm, I'm I'd say, the halfway point of this game, and I've got uh, so many, like, more of the rare weapons and the weapons that uh, the standard weapons uh, are still stronger than the rare weapons. I've modded them to hell so much that they're uh, overpowering. I'm finding the game maybe a little too easy. So I think I'm going to have to bump it back up in the difficulty to uh, normal. So I get some kind of challenge. Cause right now it's just like, Oh, Hey, here's a firefight that lasts like all oh, four seconds because I just literally just shoot everybody once in the head and they're all completely dead. Um, I have experimented a little bit more with, uh, they're called Supremas. They are basically like these um, kind of like, op moves that you get to use and then um you can either rebuild them just over time they'll rebuild themselves or you can take certain actions which you can mod the supremas with uh, there's basically a backpack that you wear um and that'll charge the meter up a little bit faster the one i've found that uh, i've had the most uh, luck with has been the um one that sends out like an emp pulse so when i get a a helicopter that i can't quite hit with enough power to get it to go down or a tank, which even as kind of OP as I am in this point, unless I'm just launching grenade launcher rounds at it, it doesn't uh, really put a dent in the tank at all. It's nice to just be able to go over and take it over. And then all of a sudden I have an access to a tank with little to no effort. Um, one kind of funny thing I've found is uh, when your vehicle takes enough damage, it catches on fire. And of course, every time I get in a vehicle, it, that Chorizo can get in. Chorizo is the little uh, wiener dog in a wheelchair. That's your, uh, trusted companion throughout this if you choose him to be there's four or five other companion animals you can have but of course uh you know wiener dog in a wheelchair is of course the best one to pick um you can he'll jump in the uh, the car with you when it catches on fire um you run out and you put yourself on fire and you'll see him run by in his little wheelchair on fire to put himself out basically it's kind of a funny little animation to see this little like little wiener dog just go running by on fire <laughs> but is yeah. he yelping the whole time no like cartoon okay. no <laughs> kind of surprising he it's funny like I, I couldn't quite put it together at first but he gets upset at you when you get into a vehicle that he can't ride in with you because either the uh, the window's too high or like the tank he can't get in he'll sit there and like Meh! like yip like he like you heard him and a couple times i thought did i run chorizo over oh no and then i look and he's like oh no he just is upset he can't ride with you and he has to go chasing you after <laughs> or chasing after you so, um, yeah, as I've been going through, I've, I've I found, like, making my own fun in that has been a little bit more um, interesting. So 
a lot of the bases you infiltrate to try to, um, you know, get more resources or just it's just kind of a fetch quest sort of thing. Like, here, here, go do this thing. I um, I will kind of like, OK, here, like, how can I slowly kind of infiltrate this kind of Metal Gear Solid it and try to, um, you know, stealthily kill everybody that I possibly can or even try to not kill anybody. And like if it, the objective is to um, like steal a document or hack a computer or something like that i'll send chorizo out to uh like distract them and they'll turn away and look how cute he is and then you just go sneak by and keep on keep on going so i found that's kind of offset the lack of difficulty at the moment but i think i'm just gonna have to bump up the difficulty because it does kind of slow the game down quite a bit having to sneak around so well i don't mind it it just this is i don't think anybody goes to far cry for 100 percent stealth runs so and this is kind of my first real Far Cry since Blood Dragon. So this is, you know, if you've played these kind of games before, it's probably like, oh, this is old hat. I mean, it's like it's the same thing over and over again. But considering it's been since, oh, God, Blood Dragon's got to be like 10 years old now or some somewhere in that ballpark because it came out as a like DLC or sort of expansion thing for Far Cry 3. And that's been quite a while at this point. Um I could see, like I said, somebody like having played four or five recently and coming to this and being like, oh, yeah, this is the same crap all over again. But like I said, for me, I haven't touched any of these games outside of Blood Dragon. So this has been like a cool experience. And plus, again, just Chorizo just completely won my heart over. Um, I I found a, I found a coffee mug that the translation is a, a warning, a spicy sausage. And it's a little picture of him. So I'm like, I think I'm going to get that. <laughs> So, you know, and as um, it's, I would say, more RPG elements than RPG at the moment, um, or not at the moment, just period. Because as you level up, you get access to different um, ability or not different abilities, but different um, different equipment that you can buy. So you, it's kind of hard to like get the better Supremas like right out of the gate, or it's impossible to because they've gated them, obviously. Um, so as you kind of go and you can get access to the better equipment that way, it kind of gives you like a new kind of way to like mess around with the fun. You unlock uh, different mods that you can't get otherwise if your levels are too low. So like I said, it's it's sort of just this like very 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 light RPG, but like I said, I've just been bouncing off everything I've been playing, so it's just nice to have something that I'm actually like clicking with finally again because it had just been uh since i finished tactics ogre reborn um gosh i'd say in january that i was just kind of bouncing off nearly everything i was playing unfortunately so it's been nice just to find something that is clicking with me finally even if it is sort of like just a mindless shooter with uh, an adorable wiener dog as my uh little amigo tactics ogre would be a tough thing to follow up for any rpg (laughs) yeah for sure um that psp one is I think it's I think I still prefer it over Reborn, um, but that game is absolutely like my favorite game. Um, I put 400 and something hours into the uh, PlayStation one version when I was younger. I uh, pretty much spent the whole summer playing that um, and then uh, getting all the endings. And yeah, just granted, a lot of that was padding with uh, the uh, let's say leveling system, just sitting there throwing rocks at each other, trying to level up in between uh, real battles. And then uh, the PSP version, I put about 270 hours into it. Didn't let's say uh, I didn't uh, Twitter complete it because I didn't get all the items and complete the Warren report and yada yada yada. But I got like all the endings and um, and I didn't finish the uh, God. I forget how deep the uh, like the dungeon of the dead is or whatever. But yeah, I didn't finish that because I was just like I I have I just no desire or no joy in doing that. And reborn, I only did one path, but it figured it's like you know I've spent 
almost 700, I don't know, at this point, probably 800 plus hours of my life playing this game. I think I can say I finished Reborn, even only finishing one path. There's not any new characters in Reborn that I'm off the top of my head. So it's kind of like, ah, you know, I, I got what I wanted out of it. And I'm sure I'll go back to it because uh, Tactics Ogre does kind of call back to me quite a bit. Um, it's just something I'll come back to and like, you know, I want to play a game and something I know I'm going to enjoy, but I want to dedicate a little bit more time to than like, say, Link to the Past, which is sort of my comfort food game. Um, I, you know, most of the time I'll just do a Master Sword run, just get the Master Sword and call it good if I'm struggling to find something I enjoy. So Tactics Ogre is one of the things that's like, well, I want to play something that's going to be a bit of a commitment and it but you know I, I also want something that i know i'm going to enjoy tech it generally kind of falls to tactics ogre so but yeah i completely agree ryan it, it's really kind of hard to live up to anything after that so it's just yeah maybe that was my fault for thinking anything was going to grab me after that i i mean i i was dealing with that sunday finishing tears uh being like wow i've i finished this excellent game what am i going to do with my <laughs> Well, at least you can continue to make weird crap in tears. And um, did you end up getting more of the Korok seeds, or did you just kind of like get what you got? And I got what I got. I got okay. so tired of rescuing those bastards. <laughs> <laughs> I did see somebody make a side by side video of like you know um, when you know Mario sixty four launched and you put the uh, you know you carry the little penguin over to the edge and drop him off the ledge, and then somebody was doing that with the Koroks or whatever. <laughs> and this guy was like, okay, yeah, that's cool. He can, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I or you, Kelly? Did you crucify one? No, I'm you not. Should have crucified cruel. one. Should have crucified one. No. <laughs> Choo Choo died for your sins. Come on. No. Pick a Korok I, died for your sins. I mean, I did rocket a couple a couple of them into the stratosphere because I any sort of rocketing in that game is funny, but <laughs> that's about it. I had too much stuff to do in that game to want to waste time Korok torturing. <laughs> Some, you know what some would say? That is the game. Kelly, you have to catch them all. All the seeds. Nah. Giant golden poop. Nah, I, I really don't. I, I clean up enough poop around the house as it is because of my cats. I don't yeah. need to get golden Korok poop. <laughs> golden poop. Uh, that that is that is uh, a couple of points from everything you've just kind of said. From my perspective, is I have I have myself suffered from. I played a really good game and it clicked, and then I went back to a different game, uh, especially like an older one, and it's like feeling like you're stepping back to something that's not as fun. Uh, it tends to happen with me more with series. Like if I play one later in a series and go back to an older one, bad idea. Mm -hmm. uh, so I had that problem with like I had played like the newer Tomb Raider, which. You know, the newer Tomb Raiders were based off of the old Uncharted games. The un old Uncharted games were based off the older Tomb Raider games, right? Mm -hmm. And so I played this new Tomb Raider. Oh, I should play the Uncharted trilogy. And that first game was just so rough. Design wasn't clicking. Yeah. And then and then uh, I, I pushed my way through it for the story. That was just painful. Second was a little bit better. And then third one, you know, where it's closest to Tomb Raider. That was like, okay, now I'm feeling it again. But it was kind of rough on here says newer Pokemon games have ruined me for some of the older ones. Kelly and I were talking about that the other day, actually. Yeah, because um, you know, I'm always wanting to go back to the DS one, but the 3DS ones were kind of a huge improvement because they uh, have have the universal experience share. Uh, so that you're not spending nearly as much time grinding and it's made some of the older ones before that practically unplayable for me. Yeah, 
Um, uh, Kelly, you just uh, <clears throat> you, you just hit us uh, 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 the I would I would say spot for me here. So I have this thing in my head where the uh, first two games um, on the Game Boy, I can absolutely forgive that sort of stuff because I don't want to say, you know, like, but comparatively, like how primitive they look. And it's just sort of in my brain of like, this is a very old game and it plays a certain way and that's okay. Whereas in my brain, because I bought a DS and a DS Lite and a DSi XL on my own with my own money, that the DS games are new, even though, yeah, at this point they're, you know, 20 years old or whatever. And going back to them and trying to play a lot of it just does not work for me. I played uh, through Platinum, oh god, I would say like five years ago maybe at this point, and I found it nearly insufferable trying to get through it. And Pip-Up is my – depending on what day of the week it is, it's my favorite Pokemon along with Mew. So getting – you know, even having my favorite Pokemon as my starter, it – made it nigh impossible to get through i was just like struggling and also a lot of the uh let's say niceties of more recent pokemon games where you can um you know you do uh, a super effective mood or a critical hit the life bar goes down a lot faster this still just chugs and chugs so even if you do you know a critical hit and super effective it just sits there do 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 oh my god why does this take six seconds to knock this Pokemon out. It just, yeah, it, 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 the pacing on those definitely got to me. And like I said, in the new stuff, yeah, the, the, the experience share and just the snappier like combat systems just really helped pick those games up and have made them, I would say, you know, more playable for people like, you know, us who are a little bit older and have a little bit less time to dedicate to catching them all, if you will. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, like I said, I, I, I can forgive um, you know, red, blue, yellow, and gold and silver because of just the way they look. The Game Boy Advance ones are sort of in a weird limbo state for me because I never played them um, outside of this ROM hack of that's a Pokemon Ultraviolet, which like you get you can get a Mew like almost nearly at the beginning of the game. So I I played that for a while and I enjoyed it. So I'm not sure how that compares to actually like Fire Red as far as pacing goes, since it's a ROM hack. But you know, it's like I said, it's just that that gap in there of you know primitive original games verse and, and i say primitive with you know comparatively i suppose and the just the look of it to the new stuff it does make it a little bit harder to go back to um anything i, I would say in between there in my brain like even um I, I tried playing black and white and i forget which one it was maybe it was white and like it just was a slog to get even like the second gym badge and i just kind of threw the towel on it i still have all of them it's just a matter of like i don't know if i'm ever gonna go back to these or play them at this point and, yeah. and it's it sucks for me because that game boy advanced generation was my favorite generation of all time because i must have put at least 200 hours each into uh ruby um which was it ruby ruby and fire red Mm -hmm. um but i was also in college then so i had a lot of free time and i took my gpasp everywhere with me and would like play in between classes and stuff so of course i put 200 hours into them i had nothing but free t time back then mm -hmm. um now not so much what, what i've ended up doing to kind of compensate because i i i love the remake the ds remakes of um gold and silver mm -hmm. um 
I, I've been playing them on my Hack 3DS and just doing uh, EXP boosting cheat codes to kind of compensate for not having the universal experience share. That way, once again, I'm not spending hours upon hours grinding. And that, that kind of helped a little bit, but that also involves uh, outside sources like having a Hack 3DS or uh, what have you. Mm-hmm. So That's part of the interesting thing, though, with uh, load times and how long things can take these days. There's a lot of PlayStation 1 games, would, RPGs, I'd love to go back and play or play further. But just thinking of how Knights of the Rounds animation in Final Fantasy VII is longer than our podcasts <laughs> is actually problematic. This is, this is an objective fact. Remember, like, oh, Sephiroth fight, an all big long spell. My gosh, you could you could literally heat go and heat up a, a a frozen dinner and have half of it done before the spell before one of his spell effects was ready. And and then in Final Fantasy VIII, the, the animations are so long they give you something to do during them. <laughs> yeah, I played a Final Fantasy VII to completion for the first time uh, like six or seven years ago, and um, that uh, triple speed boost or whatever uh, really helped. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah, I uh, when I played it on the PS1 originally, I got to where you go into the crater and my disc froze, and I could not get past that, and I developed a long-standing hatred for Final Fantasy VII after that that I just haven't completely got over in my head, even after playing it on uh, the PS4, um, you know, the like the one that you can basically, like, make it a breeze to get through. There's still just this lingering thing of I see those characters and I'm like, screw you, hate you. You wasted 60-something hours of my life. <laughs> so, f- fun fact, uh, I've told the story on the podcast before, but it's new to the newbies. Um, when I rented Final Fantasy VIII back in the day, I was dr- drawing magic, and the game would kind of lock up a little bit while I was drawing magic, and I thought, well, okay, this probably just has a long cooldown time to draw magic. So, I mean, I would sit there and I would wait for like two minutes for the, the draw magic thing to complete, and it was like, wow, this game sucks. And then finally, at one point, the game just kind of froze completely while drawing magic. And then it dawned on me, that's not how this is supposed to work. I just have a a messed up disc. So I I brought it back to the Hollywood video, dating myself, uh, explained the situation and got got a disc that was a little bit uh, less scratched. Mm -hmm. And then when it drew magic almost instantly, it was like, oh, okay. (laughs) <laughs> this is much more fun now. Um, Kelly, Hollywood video doesn't date you. Just renting games dates you. <laughs> renting RPGs, I think, specifically. Yeah, yeah. Renting PS1 games. Yeah, that dates us That dates us pretty well, too. But then uh, then I got to the second disc, and the game locked up uh, trying to load a cutscene. And I was like, okay, I think I'm done with um, I will wait to buy my own copy so that I don't have to deal with this locking up and free stuff. Because, um, hey, hey, the fun of renting disc-based games, not all people take good care of their discs. No, they, boy, they sure don't, yeah. So, but then but it that, also was a gambit. Um, if you, uh, uh, you know, rented a Super Nintendo game and would find somebody erased your progress on uh, the rental there, you, like, you know, I put some like 40 something hours in a secret of mana and rented it again the next weekend and found, hey, my safe files gone. Crap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, I, I, I always. Think... Okay. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say the other thing I relate to from what you were saying 
before was that I do have like these simple games that I go back to like in between those big games and you just need a breathe or you don't feel like anything else is catching. I can go back to my Muso games. I can go back to Earth Defense Force, uh, usually an older Diablo and whatever, just kind of kill. And that's always fun. Yeah, I think it's the fun I'm finding in Far Cry 6 is just like, oh, okay, cool. I can just kind of, it's, I want to say like mindless, but sort of like a mindless, just like dopamine hit basically. Yeah, I can see that. I have like a category of games that I use in Steam that are uh, called Evergreen or whatever. And those are games that I install on every computer that I can go to and play 45 minutes, an hour, whatever, Earth Defense Force, like I said, Rise of Nations, Age of Empires, StarCraft. I can go in, jump in like it was yesterday, play around and get that dopamine hit. And I didn't have to start up a 70-hour epic RPG. Get in, have my fun, get out. I mean, there might be some progression or defense force. There's progression as you will, you know, continue to gather armor and weapon boxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not necessary that you remember where in the store you're at or what big build you were working on, whatever. You just <laughs> go and you kill a bunch of insects. And if, you know, when you're ready for another round, you just equip whatever weapon looks the most powerful to you for that run. Yeah, definitely appreciate that because I guess if, I mean, for me, that's a link to the past. It's just getting the master sword because it only takes me a couple of hours or maybe three hours at most at this point. So it's just like, yeah, I can do this kind of in one sitting if I have the time. And it's just sort of like, okay, it just recenters me in a way. The closest I've found to that these days, particularly with RPGs, would probably be roguelikes that I've already beaten. Mm. So whether it be something like... Uh, Dead Cells or Bloodstained has a roguelike mode or just games where you can just jump in a random dungeon and get new loot. But uh, I still find there's that little part of me that wants to beat the game if I like I can't grab one that I just started up for the first time. I'm like, okay, I'm going to play this for a half hour and stop. I'm like, But no, I haven't beaten it yet. So that, that still sticks around either way, I find. I love Circadian Dice. Uh, it's a little indie game. It's probably like five or ten bucks. And instead of like a roguelike deck builder, it's a roguelike dice builder. And you buy different sides for your dice for different effects, and you have different classes that interact with them differently. At first, it's a little overwhelming. But once you get it, it's like it's just a ton of fun. And so usually, if I'm on a meeting, got three minutes to kill. It's a good roguelike to just pop in there and do a run. But uh, we we digress. Is there anything else fun and exciting you've been playing? No, that is that has been it, and I don't know if anyone would consider Far Cry 6 fun and exciting. <laughs> so, I like my time with the Far Cry games, so I I would say that sounded fun and exciting vicariously through you. That sounded okay. fun and exciting. So That'll work then. That works for me. Um, I've not been playing a whole lot. I had a very very busy week uh, at work and running my Pathfinder, you know, second edition tabletop game. So I do a lot of tabletoping, and I probably have talked about that before. Uh, we're running Caring Crown, Wrath of the Righteous, and Jade Regent. And Wrath of the Righteous is really fun because there's obviously a video game based on it. So um, that's um, uh, that's always fun to run people through the tabletop version. They make comparisons and what have you, but we're having a ton of fun with those games. Lots of good role-playing at the table and stuff like that um, and whatnot. So, uh, but other than that, just a little Diablo 4. I'm violent like in Act 2, I think. So all my friends have left. Some of them have already beat the main story. Some of them are in game. My wife has an Uber character that glows in the dark, and demons just melt around her. And I'm back here at level two, and I don't even have my horse yet. So I'm just gonna be over here, a sad boy, just behind all the friends. How do the acts look uh, like in comparison to each other? For example, Diablo three had uh, like 
very distinct visual differences between one and two? Do you have brand new enemies? Does it look vastly different or is it just more the same? Between one and two, there's some difference. I'm not the biggest fan of the whole where you turn back to Diablo two color scheme. Because when you start getting into washing contrast, uh, washing out the contrast and making it trying to look a little bit more um, gothic or grimdark, grimdark is probably a better word than gothic. Um, but whatever, it starts to all look the same to me. But to be fair, like there are different locales, um, slight, I guess, different more browns instead of whites. Uh, you know, so there are some different looks. Uh, the 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 demons, yes, some some variation, not a metric ton. Uh, there's uh, so much in the game. Like with Diablo 3, you went through Act 1, it just took a couple of hours, and then you moved on to Act 2, that took a couple hours, and it was a straight line from one to the In Diablo 4, it is much more open world, and it's so easy to just say, you know what, today I've got like two hours to kill, um, instead of like actually completing, you know, Act 1, instead I'll go to, uh, uh, I'll see a couple of dungeons, I want to knock those out. Uh, or I'll want to finish exploring this land because it's clear that I haven't ever, uh, you know, I haven't gone through every nook and cranny, and there's hidden statues that can power you up. So it, it definitely scratches some different niches that Diablo 3 didn't really hit too well. Uh, but you still got your dungeons, you still got killing lots of enemies. Uh, I'm playing on World Tier 2, which when you're first starting out, you can pick one or two, and then later on more open up. And at World Tier 2, I can tell you, I feel pretty squishy. I have to be careful about dodging. I have to watch my resources. It doesn't quite feel like the lawnmower simulator, as some have called Diablo 3. That might change later if I get some overpower broken build. I have no idea. But for now, it feels like a more action-oriented experience. Uh, but it's been pretty fun so far. I'm, I'm having a good time. I just wish I had more free time to put more time into it. And it works really good on controller or mouse and keyboard. So, you know, I'm at my computer, I play with mouse and keyboard, but when I'm at the television on laptop, I use a Xbox controller. And I've, those have, either one of those have worked just fine. And other than that, I've just been uh, playing around a little bit on that tree and That's what I'm doing on the stream here. Uh, it's just kind of slowly grinding up and leveling up. And uh, I do like that tree and I love dungeon crawlers, but that is a really, really solid one. So, but we talked about that a lot last week, so we'll go into that again. Uh, we got a lot of our things to talk about, so I think we'll just move on to our question of the week. Um, oh, I had one response to how you feel about battle passes from Tinklin. Um, I agree with Phil about battle passes. I'm not sure why people make a big deal out of them. With Diablo 4, it's pretty purely optional for a game that people can potentially play for years and wait for years for the next installment. For me, the battle pass helps keep your engagement long after the purchase. Yeah, and if you're if you're watching the stream and you want to see more about what that shop looks like uh, because you don't have the game but you're just curious, I can definitely take you guys through that. But it really is pretty much right now just aesthetic stuff. And there's a lot of good aesthetics already in the game you get from just killing the monster. So it really is up to you if you want to buy even more. Uh, and of course, they threw in some for like if you preview and whatever have you. Just it's all aesthetic stuff and can take it or leave it. Uh, but I'm hoping that because they're doing this much more aggressively than in I mean, in Diablo 3, you know, people forget you had battle passes in Diablo 3. You did. It was in the form of the season achievements, right? You went through and you did like two or three or four chapters. And depending on what you did, you got a new suit of gear for your character that makes them look differently. It would unlock the, the transmogification, whatever the hell it's called. You would get a new border, you know, for your character picture. That was that was essentially like a battle pass. Um, did the you, only did you pay for them, though? 
No, I was about to say there was a paid side. Uh, you know, there wasn't a paid side, right? There was just the free side. And this one, you got a free side. You do. So you're still getting what you got in Diablo 3. You're still getting free stuff for doing the season stuff. That's on the free side of Battle Pass. If you want to pay more, they're probably going to double it up or whatever it is they're going to do, triple it or whatever. But you got more that they're going to be doing. But again, that's on you. To me, it's just completely optional and doesn't seem, at least on paper, we'll see more when the season actually starts uh, in July. But it seems to just simply give you more options than what you had in Diablo 3 in terms of if you want even more uh, fancy looks to your characters. And given that it is obviously a higher fidelity game um, than than Diablo 3, uh, while I do appreciate the way my, my kick-butt sorceress looks in Diablo 3, this this one does have I thought I thought at first, why would anybody want to buy these? Because in Diablo 3, uh, I wasn't much into how my character looked. It just was kind of low res. It was kind of there. You know, yeah, if you had some glowing weapons, you look pretty badass. But half the time, the camera zoomed down on your character. You don't see them. I mean, when you log in, it looks kind of muddied. It clearly wasn't designed for you to look at your character up close. With Diablo 4, when you log in, you get this up look, up close look at your character at the login screen. When you're in your inventory, it's a close-up look, and it's very high resolution, and there's a lot of good texturing work done. They clearly have put a lot of time and effort into uh, how your character looks. And even though 95% of the time you're in combat and you really can't tell anyways, <laughs> that 5% is pretty cool, especially when you get a cool outfit and you put it on your character. Whether or not you feel that's worth $15 for the extra battle pass or 20 bucks for the outfit XYZ, that's up to you, but it's completely ignorable. And if that keeps them making new classes, new lands to discover, new dungeons, new world bosses, then I'm all for it. Because with Diablo 3, while we do have seasons and stuff, we don't get a whole lot of any of that stuff I just mentioned. It really has kind of gone into a maintenance mode, more or less. Uh, which, how can you blame them? They don't really make that much more money off of it after the initial sales were done. So hopefully this kind of keeps them pumping into it. Uh, I do think it does feel more like an MMO. There was a bit of a discussion we had in the RP Gamer about whether Diablo 4 could kind of be an MMO. I know Path of Exile is considered an MMO by many, including MMORP Gamer. Uh, but uh, you do have multiple people running around the world uh, and, you know, that you can interact with, group with, do content with. You have a guild. I have a clan set up for my friends, uh, for my tabletop gaming community. Uh, so you, still, you do have a lot of those um, elements that you hind. Uh, you have big world bosses. Uh, and the such. So, fun times, if that's what you're into. I, uh, on the topic of what games can be used in what genres, there was a game developer on one of the announcements for uh, that happened to call Diablo a rogue game. So, who really knows sometimes? What I mean, the original what? one very much was. Well, I tell you what, if you want to make it a rogue game, that's easy to do. Just play on hardcore. God bless your heart. There's a fun video by Asmongold of people, you know, streamers, uh, popular streamers who died in hardcore mode doing stupid, you know, just stupid deaths. And of course, you watch their pain, their jaw hits the ground as they've just seen a character that they have 50 hours put into just get erased, <laughs> just like that. <laughs> I remember Diablo 3 seeing the video of uh, a hardcore character that was pretty high that died wait, waiting for something and fire coming up from a vent. Yeah. Yeah, stupid deaths are fun to watch. It's just, I can't take your eyes off. It's like a car accident. You know it's going to be ugly. You should turn away, but you you can't. So uh, that would turn it a little bit more to the, the, the shared world means that there's not as much procedural generation. So when you get into the dungeons, those are procedurally 
laid out for the most part. The elements seem to be consistent when I do different characters, but the layouts within the dungeons are varied and they do feel better than Diablo 3. They feel more varied. Um, there, there's still a couple things don't don't quite feel as good as Diablo 2 to me in that regard, but they're minor nitpicks. However, the overworld is pretty much set in stone, unlike Diablo 2. Like Diablo 2's overworld was completely rearranged every time you played, at least from my experience. Um, Diablo 4, the overworld is kind of more like an MO. You're going to get the same things in the same places all the time. You might run into an enemy with a different combination of keywords or whatever they're called, tags, with different powers, but uh, the overworld is pretty consistent and it's beefy and it's big. And I want my horse because it's a lot of ground to cover. Stupid horse locked in chapter three. Who came up with that <laughs> idea? <laughs> MMO people. Yes, exactly. Got to make it there feel like an MMO. <laughs> uh, but thank you for the answer to that question. You too can leave your feedback over at rpgamer.com. Just look up our latest podcast. Even if you're listening to the old podcast, you won't leave the comments on the newer podcast or you won't see it. Uh, so we always love to, to hear you there. Uh, you can also email us a podcast at rpgamer. Do we still do the call and texting thing, Kelly? I probably asked this no, before. Not really. It's been oh, kind okay. of retired. All right. Uh, but anyways, and of course, we're always uh, on on uh, Twitch. We live stream these. Chris normally does at twitch.tv forward slash rpgamer every week, noon Eastern Standard Time. Uh, you can come in and join in the conversations and leave your feedback. We kind of read those comments here and there uh, that I do. Anywho. Uh, do do we want to talk about the next question week or are we moving on to news? I mean, it kind of ties into the news. Um, Did so most of our news this week is from the uh, Summer Game Fest announcements, and mm-hmm. um, I was curious what the what thing you're most hyped about. Nice. So, what Summer Game Fest game had you the most hype? Uh, remember, you can email that podcast at rpgamer.com or head over to rpgamer.com and look up the latest podcast and just put it in the comment section there. So that's a great segue into the news. So were you looking forward to playing the restored content for Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic 2 on the Switch? Oh, absolutely. Oh, you have no idea. Yeah, you, you don't. I, man, I am waiting for that. I've just been sitting here on the edge of my chair. I, I can barely focus on this new Zelda game I got because I'm just waiting for this. Oh, it's been canceled. What? Get out. Yeah, but the company is offering a selection of game keys to those who purchase the game on the console. So, hey, you get a free game out of your disappointment. Free game key to what? Let's see. We have a whole list. Basically, most of the Star Wars games are yeah, Switch. Yeah. So Which, there is... odds are, if you're a fan of Star Wars games, you probably already own most of these. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, for anybody who, who is in this camp and finds yourself with an extra Star Wars key you don't want, you could send those to uh jc servant at rpgamer no i'm just kidding <laughs> but yeah no that's uh that's sad i, I guess that's uh, i think people would rather just have their restored content tlc Especially yeah here. and they, they really didn't give a reason why either it was probably too much of an undertaking i imagine so um one of the keys is the uh steam version of old republic 2 sith lords which i think does have that dlc so there you go. Hmm. Somebody needs to patch it and get it to work on the Xbox, the original Xbox, and figure out a way to make that happen, and then I'll then I'll go for it. Right? No. Nope. Okay. Awkward. <laughs> yeah. I still got my copy. I'm sure it's worth exactly zero at this point, but hey, you know, I still have my copy. So you, you could just plug in the controller to uh, Steam. You'll be fine. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a good idea. There we go. I'll just 
and then you know i wonder if i can get the um i wonder if the disc will fit in my steam deck the steam deck is a pretty uh, hefty beast so maybe i can get the disc in there too and it'll just work right yeah. sure, sure you just you know cut a hole in the top of your steam deck and just shove it right in there i mean it might help with the ventilation so <laughs> <laughs> all right and uh we're moving on to the next one there yeah okay uh, so developer Winter Wolves has a Kickstarter going for their next project, which is titled uh, Tales of Erevon and <laughs> an Elven Marriage. Um, it's a follow up to their previous game that came out in 2012 called Lauren, the Amazon Princess, um, which is a visual novel slash RPG. It's the first in four planned spinoffs that adds uh, more focus um, to the characters from Lauren. Uh, you can choose to play as either the returning protagonist Eleanor or Saren, which is nice to see Saren found work after being killed in Mass Effect. The campaign, which has already passed its $6,000 euro goal, is running until July 3rd, uh, kicking in at least 20 euros, about $22, $23 uh, US dollars, to get a copy of the game. Now, um, since Chris isn't here, um, let me tell you the dumbest amount of money you can throw at Winter Wolves and the reward it'll get you. Unfortunately, it's a little disappointing. Uh, the top tier is 150 euros, about 162 dollars, and it lets you design an outfit for either Eleanor or Saren, and you also get beta access, digital soundtrack, character wallpaper, uh, deal or yeah, character wallpaper DLC, digital guide, an art book, game wallpaper, and your name in the credits. Um, and Winter Wolves is shooting for 2020 or June 2024 on PC through itch.io and Steam. Oh, that sounds exciting. Moving on, the very first Harvest Moon game is now available on the Nintendo Switch Online subscription service. Uh, this is the Super Nintendo one that came out in the late 90s. And now the legit card of um, this game goes for $400 now. I don't want to ever hear anyone bitching about the price of Switch Online ever again. Right. You're saving <laughs> all kinds of money now, so now you have no room to complain. You, you can play it legally for the low, low price of $20 a year if you yeah. want to. Or, you know, th there's a bunch of bootleg carts on uh, eBay, too, uh, as I was looking this morning because I was curious what the cart shot up to. Because, like, a, a decade ago when my husband bought it for me for Christmas, it was only, it was still 200 and it's doubled since then. So, and, and the first Harvest Moon still holds up pretty well. I mean, it's not... It's not as in-depth as, say, a Stardew Valley, but it's it was still really fun to play. But bear in mind, it's also kind of glitchy. Um, but you do have the the rewind feature to kind of compensate for that. So, yay. And when I, when I texted this to Anna on Discord, she was like, wow, Marvelous finally caved. Because I, I guess Marvelous had been really grumpy about putting this on uh, online the longest time. So... I wonder if they were hoping to continue to sell it in some way, shape, or form. It was on the yeah. Wii U virtual. Well, I think it was on the Wii Virtual Console too. So it was on the Wii, the Wii U Virtual Consoles. But you know, those are uh, dead and gone now at this point. So it's just like, well, if you want to get any sort of residuals from this, you know, thirty-plus-year-old game, uh, here's how you do it. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, just be happy with your residual and give us more of these residuals. And twenty dollars is a small price to pay to alleviate your guilty conscience for buying that bootleg last year. <laughs> Not to mention you get uh, dozens of other excellent games too. There yeah. you go. Yeah. So there you go. Could be a bit like me with uh, farming sims, where because of the price of Harvest Moon, which is the only one I knew existed for a while, and I'm an RPG collector, I just went, "Is it really an RPG?" I'm gonna say no. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and then I just don't buy it. I think uh, I think Harvest Moon was grandfathered in for reasons <laughs> here. So. Oh, oh, definitely, and it's. <laughs> 
it's still a worthwhile franchise overall. It's just growing up, the only experience I had with it was the Super Nintendo version, and mm-hmm. I knew it existed, and then I just kept seeing the price slowly climb, and I went, not do- mm. Uh, the Room Factory games usually recent statistics and stuff, or which ones they are. That the more you do this activity, the more that skill goes up. You know, underneath, like even sleeping has a score. <laughs> you know, yeah, like oh just basic stuff has a score that's going up with you. It just makes it feel like Skyrim. Hey, so hey, Final uh, Fantasy two, the video or the uh, the the farming simulator. The farming, yeah, Final Fan, Final Farming two. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we we did a backtrack on Room Factory four recently. You should go listen to it, Phil. Yeah. Small plug. Yeah. Where can they where they where can they find it? What is this RPG backtrack? I hear it's where you can hear about the RPGs from the way back when, right up through yesteryear. Where where can we find those at, Kelly? Uh, oh the the wait, actually we're in factory four was uh, a lot longer ago than that. I forgot that the way, way, way back of twenty twenty, which seems like forever ago. Um rpgamer.com under our podcast tab. And you can uh, also find it on any of your favorite podcast catchers. Yep, just just look for the red dragon icon. Mm-hmm. So uh, tell me about Lisa Definitive Edition, Jason, because I've I've heard about this game a lot, and I've heard that it's dark as hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, just judging by the uh, the new news story here that I uh, read that Alex read, it's like it seems. But yeah, if you ever wanted to try it, uh, Lisa the Painful and its DLC, Lisa the Joyful, um, but haven't been able to because you're a console scrub like me, uh, you'll have your chance on July 18th. Uh, publisher Serenity Forge and Dev Dingling Productions, which might might get me to buy it just for that name alone, um, are bringing both in one package to the PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series, and the Switch for 25 bucks. You'll also be able to buy them separately with the Painful being 20 and the Joyful being $10. Um, the game takes place after an event called the White Flash, which wipes every woman off the face of the earth, uh, or whatever this world is called, I forget off the top of my head, but um, you play as Brad and a variety of recruitable party members. They can all die permanently, but Brad can make, um, let's say, sacrifices to save them. What kind of sacrifices are you asking? Well, I'm chopping off your limbs. Um, these sacrifices affect both his stats and appearance. Um, the features for this uh, definitive edition include upgraded graphics, 120 FPS mode. I'm assuming that's not uh, uh, viable on the Switch. New campfire conversations, enemies, bosses, quests, new stories with multiple endings, new music and player, new easy mode. That sounds more up my alley. Updated yeah. battle system and UI and 12 language options. Because look, I've always been curious game, but I've heard that it's notoriously difficult. So with it having a easy mode, I'm kind of more curious about it now. Um, there's also an RPG maker game just called, I think, Lisa. That's a prequel to this. That's not not in this collection, but I think you can find it wherever you find RPG maker games. Mm, I, I've, yeah. I've watched a lot of videos about this series. That's a uh, in my uh, or not mine, but the final group I'm a part of on Facebook, the video game final group. Um, it's that that is one of those ones that pops up very rarely, and I think it goes for. A, good couple hundred dollars the soundtrack itself so it's one uh, of those ones that i'm like it's a, that's about the most uh i've kind of researched into it recently but this i mean for 25 bucks it seems like it might be worth a shot especially with the easy mode in there now yeah um moving on legends of amberland 2 the song of trees demo has been released now through steam that includes the first part of the storyline uh phil this sounds up your alley it's uh inspired by classic crpgs and a first person perspective with grid-based movement yeah it's um it's a dungeon crawler that uh, the first one came out i want to say like four or five years ago just if i'm going off the top of my my head 
it has like this low res pixelated look and it's supposed to kind of be evocative maybe of some of the or the dungeon cards you might have seen in the 90s where the graphics were kind of 3d but you'd have like these pixelated the suedo 3d type of um npc looking icons and stuff kind of thinking like my magic six was kind of famous for that <laughs> uh that was actually kind of you think about it but uh, it, it didn't it, you know it was okay it, it didn't pop up high enough um based on the reviews on my radar to actually dive into the first one so we'll see if they make some improvements with the uh, second one and I, I do like my dungeon cards i'm playing one on the stream right now with Adrian odyssey so i'm always happy to see if they can make it improve it i i, I played a couple of old school kind of retro remakes of, of dungeon crawlers uh, and they can be fun when they get them right um so tactical rpg symphony of war the nephilim saga i hope i'm saying that right um is getting some dlc later this year called the legends uh this will add eight new story chapters new game plus and oh good uh super final boss modes which sounds um very difficult and something i don't want to mess with uh you also get 13 new classes as well as new artifacts items traits and mercenaries um we got runner up for boy, it's still weird for me to say our as having joined the site and everything, but uh, our best tactical RPG of 2022, losing out Triangle Strategy. So it seems like it's a pretty solid choice for uh, TRPG fans. I own it, but I've yet to touch it, which is kind of my trademark, unfortunately. And games like this, having more units, factions, and classes and stuff, always... I'm happy to play it after all that stuff gets added in, just so I have the most variety possible. It, it was pretty good. I, I streamed uh, this back in the day for uh, a number of sessions there. And it's, uh, oh my gosh, I can never remember that name of that game. I always forget this game with the, with the character Gog from um, Sin Eaters. Shadow something Sin Eaters. Anyways, I'll remember it like afterwards. But um, the idea is that you are, instead of like just building one party and taking on, uh, a bunch of bad guys you are building a number of parties uh, and you send them out and when they get into a fight it's almost like an auto battler uh, it'll just go back and forth and there's some pre-assigned uh, order of operations that they'll take uh, in attacking and you'll want to equip those uh, those those guys as best as you can and they'll go up against enemies but where you place each of these groups on a grid because you'll just have like one icon for each of your group of four or five and the enemies will as well uh, and you'll go back and forth in tactical uh, turn base and it's just a nice refreshing um, take on it uh, and for the life of me I can't remember the the, play, the freaking PlayStation 2 game by I think it's Soul Nomad by, and the World Eaters thank you it's like Sin Eater or something or rather yeah Soul Nomad um I, I when that game came out, I really want to jump onto it because I loved Ogre Battle on the the Super Nintendo, and this was going to be like a turn-based Ogre Battle. I love turn-based, so that's to me is a great improvement. But unfortunately, Soul Nomad uh, is it, it's not well balanced. It's not a fun experience. Ultimately, it's got an intriguing story. I like the characters, uh, but couldn't stick with it. So this this one for those people who felt like me, I think uh, the, the this game was a, a, a nice kind of like maybe this maybe a solo match should be a little, more, a little bit more like this it's a fun experience so i'm glad it's getting some dlc to add more to it yeah i tried to play soul nomad when they re-released it for the switch and couldn't get past some of the uh ableist language that somehow creeped into the i say somehow creeped into the game that isn't appropriate now and <laughs> I mean, it's he's a he's a bad like he's literally legitimately a bad guy 
Yeah. Right? So you're playing this really bad guy, which I not like somebody who's misunderstood, not, you know, somebody who's just good in all other respects, but in this one respect. No, he is literally, you know, he is just he is like I mean, when I was playing, I was like, oh, damn, sit back. This guy is a real. No, he's just not a bad guy. He's a jerk. Right. Like he's just a complete jerk. Uh, so that, right. That was like that took me a while to kind of adjust to. Uh, and but where it was kind of going after that, I thought was kind of intriguing, but not nearly intriguing enough to take me through the slog of gameplay. Yeah. Uh, Case Disburger in our chat says I'm playing Soul Nomad now and the balance is awful. And that's it. The balance is just it's just horrific. It just robs the the system of, of fun. Somehow the Super Nintendo Ogre Battle got this down better. So years ago, but I digress. Let's continue on. Um, are you still Monhunt Monhunting oh, Phil? Monhunt for life, Kelly. Did you even have to ask? Yeah. Well, um, sad news. We've got the final update that uh, dropped this week, adding the game's final monster, the Primordial Balzino, and. That sounds hard. Oh, yeah. I don't even look at this. I, I had actually heard a, a bit about it, but I was just like, I didn't even click on the article because I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm probably never going to get up to that kind of level of play. I'm more of a, a casual um, player. I usually get through all the bosses in the expansion that are there at the time of release, but then when they do these extra DLC updates or whatever, they tend to be for the really hardcore, and that's not but it looks cool for those people who want a little bit more extra. Perhaps if they were selling battle passes on Monster Hunter Rise, they would continue <laughs> to release more lands and content, but who who knows? Um, they do have some more changes to armor, augmentations, and decorations, as well as a oh. um, number of new challenging event quests added up will be added up until July 27th. And this is for the Switch version. Um, this update will appear on the... Uh, PlayStation and Series X versions on August 20th. So, and, and one of the nice things about these about these Monster Hunter games is they 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 do support them for quite a while. I mean, since they released a while back, you know, Monster Hunter Rise were originally released uh, years ago. Um, up through now, they have constantly added new events and and they kept tweaking the formulas, doing balance changes. Uh, obviously, this will now go into some sort of maintenance mode soon. But I know last time I had checked, you could still get on the serves for Monster Hunter Three. Right, Monster Hunter Try. Uh, they support these for a very, very long time, and of course, even if they're offline, you can play them, you know, offline with, uh, you know, by yourself or locally with friends, I'd imagine. Uh, okay. But you won't be able to play online anymore if they ever do take it offline. But they keep those servers up for a very, very long time. They support these games really, really well, and the fact that they are fleshing out the decoration and the other things you just mentioned, those are in-game uh, mechanics that basically use some in-game progression. Some of that is based on just tweaking your builds just a little bit more. And some of that is actually uh, to make your character look prettier and being able to use different uh, outfits on your character from different monsters while still wearing the actual armor from uh, the monster that's best. Uh, so it gives you kind of a fun in-game crime for both casuals and for hardcore people. And it's pretty well done. Sunbreak added a much needed in-game to the original base experience. Um, uh Master Rank was added into Sunbreak, which I didn't play, but Primordial uh, Malzana is available at Master Rank level 10, which I don't think is that that bad, is it? Uh, did Master Ranks uh, in Rise, when it originally came, I think only went up to six or so, and then they added more afterwards. 
they're just really kind of the, the master rank once you get past like a certain point is more of an indication of like them just kind of gatekeep into where you played it for a while. Um, so you might have some monster that says master rank 99 and then you have a monster that's monster rank 10. Uh, that doesn't necessarily suggest the 99 is necessarily that much harder, um, but it, it could be. Um, but I, I would assume this is going to be a tough fight, but you're right. It may not be super hard. It might, might be uh, projecting a little too much and it might just be a nice, solid, nice, normal in-game boss for all people to kind of farm up a, a cool in-game set, but not be like, was it in Monster Hunter World uh, Behemoth or whatever Final Fan that they had with the crossover Final Fantasy? That freaking thing was a pain in the rear end if you ever tried to solo thing. It was made for parties and it was made to be super powerful and super hard. Uh, so that's that, that I never don't, don't do that. Don't like dying. <laughs> you die a lot. So cool. Well, Capcom is doing really, really good. Resident Evil 4 released really, really good. They're, they're doing a lot of good. Um, the Mega Man re-releases have been pretty good. Uh, Mega Man Network, Battle Network's been pretty good. They, they've been on a roll. If people like Exo Primal, then they'll be able to do no better. No Street wrong. Fighter Six, yeah, th- I, that's what I was thinking of, Tam. Yeah, thank you for that. Street Fighter Six has been getting nothing but positive reviews. It does have, um, uh, th- I will tell you that the premium uh, packages, you want to look at those carefully. Uh, there is some funny monetization going on with one of those, and that one got extremely negative on steam for good reason but um if you just stick with the normal game or maybe the season one of the season whatever they're called season pass or uh expansions included those are getting really really great reviews so yeah capcom's really doing pretty good overall coming yeah, back to that street fighter 5 release yeah they seem to have turned things around since uh, the uh, hot dog arm bionic commando days so <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right all right do you guys have enough turn-based rpgs in your life no, never. More. No, that's an Turn based. Those words don't belong together. All right. So, publisher Dear Villagers and Dev La Mortad Tard uh, have announced Terra Memoria for the PC, PS5, Xbox Series, and the Switch for later this year. It looks kind of like Legend of Mana meets Octopath Traveler. Uh, you bring together six characters who each have their own story in a world where there's a shortage of magic crystals and ancient robots are coming back to life. Uh, there's a building system and crafting system that you'll have to utilize to solve environmental puzzles and reconstruct parts of the world. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, that's where I kind of got the Legend of Mana vibe, plus just the look of it. It just gave me that sort of perspective thing of it. I don't know if any of you guys are getting that from that either. Yeah, I, I was kind of getting it, too. Surprisingly, I'm getting from most of the characters Fuga, if grown up, vibes from the character designs. Okay, I think I can see. Yeah, I can see that. It looks cool. I'll have to ch- check it out when it comes out. Yeah, it's definitely one I want to keep an eye on. Just, just because of the Legend of Mana thing, it's just like, okay, maybe, maybe they did this one right finally. <laughs> so, um, do you guys have enough deck building roguelites in your life? Are you Never. kidding me? No. <laughs> Well, uh, they've got a deck of souls, deck building roguelike, incorporating souls-like elements. Well, with a name like that, no duh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no. no. Defeat enemies to turn their souls into new ability cards or spare bosses to to receive your help. That that sounds like that could be kind of fun. This is from uh, developer Big Boot Studios and publisher HeroCraft. Uh, the game is in development for PC, and you can wishlist it now on Steam. Oh, and, and you can create your hero from a number of classes. Could and, be interesting. Yeah, they, uh, there's so many 
roguelike deck builders. It has to be good to rise above the crop. So we'll have to see how the execution is. And there's even been some good ones recently. So I'm looking forward to seeing more and seeing if any of them could do something either really, really well or maybe something a little novel. That's fun. That's something that drives me crazy because um, like PlayStation's having their huge sale going going on right now. And, you know, sorting by price low to high and just um, filtering out all the RPGs. And it's like, ah, uh, deck builder, deck builder, mm-hmm. roguelite, deck builder, roguelite. And uh, don't get me wrong, I don't mind them. I'm just kind of burnt out by them. Yeah, yeah. It's just, hard to get the good stuff to rise to the surface when there's that many of them. Yeah. yeah. I don't, unfortunately, a lot of them don't really do enough to to rise above. But there are some good ones, and it's a shame that some of those really good ones that should be standing alongside things like Slay the Spire Monster Train get kind of buried just by the sheer volume. It's like trying to find a good game on the Nintendo Wii, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, but they are out there if you do your homework and there's some good YouTube videos that also help to point you in the right direction. If you're just looking for, um, you know, if you've already done Monster Train and Slay the Spire and looking for something of a bit new and fresh, that's still very solid and fun. The Switch is hitting Wii levels of shovelware too. It yeah, is. I was going to say, if you go in that eShop, it's a, it, uh, I mean, it, it kind of looks like the Steam store anymore. It's nigh impossible to find some stuff in there. And it doesn't help that it moves like ass. Yeah, that that's very true. To be fair, though, there are a few indie games that occasionally drop to like a dollar or two on the Switch that are, they're not five out of five experiences, but some solid three to four out of five. Yeah, yeah, I've picked up a couple of those and have enjoyed them. I mean, it just, (laughs) I I like looking at some new Switch releases every week and just like, ah, garbage, garbage, garbage. You know what? I stopped doing that about a year and a half ago. I would go through the new releases every like Monday on Xbox, Wednesday on um, PlayStation, and then like Friday I would go through all the Switch stuff. And it became really, really tedious, especially like realizing like I have bought so many of these games that I have just not even thought about since this. Like I'm going to stop doing this to myself. Yeah, um, I, I mostly do it when something relevant to my interest comes out now. I've been so lost in game uh, announcements, game reveals, updates, etc., that while looking, I didn't say anything at the time, but we were looking at Lisa the Painful. I was like, I don't even know if I've heard of this. I own it. When did I own it? <laughs> yeah. You maybe got it on some like bundle or something at some point. Yep. Don't yeah. do what I do and buy a game that you already pre-ordered and totally forgot about. That ends yeah, I think, poorly. Uh, Chris did that with Tears of the Kingdom, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh goodness yeah yeah it happens a lot so all right um getting back to uh turn-based strategy rpgs uh dark deity which is a another game i backed on kickstarter and have yet to touch um and if you're a fan of that one uh sword and axe and freedom games are working on a sequel to it it looks like it's kind of aimed right at the hearts of older fire emblem games mm-hmm. um taking place 25 years after the first game uh, trouble is once again a bruin uh, so you control a new group of heroes who also just happen to be descendants of Irving, the first game's protagonist to prevent all-out war you get 20 heroes and 45 different classes to put them into and you seem to have a fair bit of freedom to customize your party with no release date yet but like our last game you can wishlist it on steam and it's also coming to epic game store and gog as well based off the first one uh it was the, the amount of customization is ridiculous for a Fire Emblem game. You can uh, essentially 
uh, there's ran like randomizers that exist out there. You can use ran like randomizer aspects where I want to make the enemies ten times harder than anything I've ever seen. I can I want to make my characters level at rant like at any type of level. You can uh, find first treasure chest has the strongest item in the game. Like you can. The amount of ways you can customize everything is kind of ridiculous that I, I can't even begin to fathom. Uh, I only played a, a demo impression of it when it came out, which reminded me of how I was a little sad this year. Freedom Games didn't do a third year in a row of shadow dropping a game that is based off of a Super Nintendo classic. Because you had Dark Deity two years ago based off Fire Emblem and then Symphony, uh, Symphony of Nephilim there. Uh, based off Ogre, uh, Ogre Battle. Then this year they didn't shadow drop anything, so I was kind of hoping for something, but I'm very excited for this game. Yeah, it's definitely one I'm going to at least contemplate getting. I, like I said, I, I know I own Dark Deity, but I just haven't gotten around to playing it. Well, yeah, to be out. fair, I did get it on PC, so and I only recently got a Steam Deck, so maybe that's, uh, maybe that's my in, finally. Yeah, definitely... Um... Check out the if you already own it and give it a shot because you already paid for it. Um, if you're thinking about it, just check out the reviews and stuff. It didn't click with me personally, um, but I might be in the minority. Yeah, I've had this wish listed for a while, um, mainly because I've been curious about it. But every time it's been on sale, it's like, do I have the energy for an old school Fire Emblem right now? Eh, not now, but I'm glad it's getting a sequel. Yeah, must have done pretty well. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they, it's an opportunity for, you know, people like me. I'm going to still keep an eye on it because they could very well improve on some of the elements that I thought were a bit on the weaker side. So what well, else do we have? Something I saw that I kind of got a little excited for. So Bandai officially announced Sandland, which is based off of a 2000 manga of the same name from Dragon Ball creator Akira Toriyama. Um, so I, I pulled up the trail and was like okay kind of sand wait why do they look like dragon Ball? oh okay this is uh, a kira toriyama joint um so it's set in a desert world where humans and demons are suffering from a water shortage and the game follows beelzebub as he joins sheriff Rao uh to search for the legendary spring um you get to go on foot or have a lot of vehicles and there's uh, vehicular and character-based combat it, it looks like a lot of fun the ups and downs of it the uh, developers that's helping bandai namco's ilka they most recently did one piece odyssey which i've heard good things about um primarily as well as the pokemon brilliant diamond and shining pearl remakes and oh, uh, right. also helped work on dragon guard 3 it was one of their first games Oh, cool. So, hmm. oh, I I plan on keeping an eye on that one because as a Dragon Quest fan, I'm always down for uh, anything Akira Toriyama, even though I stand by my claim that he is a great monster designer but a terrible people designer. Because <laughs> yeah, the the old man, pretty much Doctor Jiro from Dragon Ball, or Dragon Ball Z rather. <laughs> did you um? Did you get into Blue Dragon? I tried to. Every time I've tried to get into it, I got distracted. But I love that soundtrack. Okay. All right. Um, so next up, we got uh, you know a very very small game. I don't know if you guys have heard about it. It's called Final Fantasy VII. Um, oh, that indie thing. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
if you're curious about this, you can pre-register for a spinoff for this obscure title called EverCrisis on iOS and Android. Um, Android users are actually able to have a chance to play a closed beta when that happens July 6th through the 13th, so iOS is out in the dark on this one. Um, this is a single-player game that compiles major events from the original Final Fantasy VII as well as the compilation of Final Fantasy VII releases. Um, also going to be new story elements covering the past of Sephiroth, written by Final Fantasy VII Remake scenario writer uh, Kuzashige Nojima. Uh, so, at the pace we're going at, I believe, with the alphabet thing going for the compilation of Final Fantasy VII, I think, uh, Kelly, you and I will be in our 80s by the time this wraps up, finally? I, I suppose so. Yeah, so, I mean, it's been, yeah, I mean, 20-something years since Final Fantasy VII came out, and uh, we're just, or no, it's been more than that, hasn't it? Or has it? I don't know. When did that come out? Was it 97? I think so. Okay, yeah, so we're we're getting there. Um, But yeah, I mean, and it's taken this long to get to E, so (laughs) I don't even know if we're going to be in our 80s. We might be, be like, 20 years dead by that point, so... (laughs) Well, I can't believe I never noticed that it was doing that. So, Advent Children, Before mm-hmm. Crisis, Crisis Core, uh, Dirge of Cerberus, and mm-hmm. now, okay. Yep. <laughs> Thanks for pointing that out. Now, I, I'm curious about this because, uh, yeah, it's kind of a bite sample of all the different things that kind of, story things that have kind of led up to the Final Fantasy VII proper, mm-hmm. including Before Crisis, which we never got. Because that was an old uh, cell phone game, like a flip phone game. I think somebody even managed, like, kind of converted it and put it on, like, an RPG Maker thing and made it available, if I'm remembering right, like, pretty recently oh. in the last year or two. I didn't know that. Huh, I'll have to look into that. But um, well, we got more Final Fantasy VII news. Um, they, they, they dropped a trailer for just a little indie game called Final Fantasy VII. Re- um, not, not, not that interesting. I guess that remake game must have done okay for them then, I suppose, <laughs> if they're willing to, like, you know, do a huge sequel, right, for a, for this tiny little game I'd never heard of before? Yeah, they, uh, they must have made a little bit of cash off of that remake, you know, j- just a tad. On two discs, they probably are fitting an entire indie game somewhere in here you can play. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't surprise uh, me. So many people on Twitter are like, well, they really are devoting to the Final Fantasy VII bit, uh, since that was one of the first multi-disc games I ever played. Um, but you know, all, all kidding aside, that trailer looked pretty rad. Um, the, the, it looks like it's going to be a much more open world than what the previous game was. And Vaughn and I had a very long discussion about where they're going to end this one, and I think it's going to be an Empire Strikes Back situation where it's going to end on a down note somehow. I'm being intentionally vague for people that have never played the original game. Yeah, yeah. I do wonder if they're... It's it's either going to end at the end of disc one from the original game and that what happens there or at the end of disc two in the uh, second no, wait, no, that wasn't the end of this too, but at the Northern Crater bit in the original game. I'm still bucking the trend of most and hoping that it ends on a, I can't believe they did that. I can't figure out where this is from, from the original seven. I want yeah. them to end it there. Yeah. So, so um, we'll have to see. Oh, and um, playable Yuffie and Red 13, finally, which, which I'm all for. Um, they haven't shown off certain characters yet, and I imagine that they're saving those for closer to release. Um, 
because they they showed the Niflheim mansion, so v Vincent's definitely got to be somewhere. Uh, whether or not Sid and Catch Tea show, will show up, I don't know. But it just be, being a Final Fantasy VII fan, I was like looking at every single frame of this trailer. We were like, oh God, what's that? What, what could that allude to? Uh, oh, there's the Chocobo Ranch. So we're gonna have a Midgar Swarmer fight. A <laughs> <laughs> hey, um. Little little side here. I've told on my podcasts before previously, but when I used to work at GameStop, um, there was somebody who came in with their mom. Uh, this young this young man came in with his mom, and he was having to sell his PS2, I suppose. And it was very I don't want to say the stereotypical emo kid from the like you know mid to late 2000s with the hair kind of swooped in or in one in front of one eye. You could barely see his face at all with it. And he was, mom, I'm so depressed. I want to play the Vincent Valentine game. Oh, I'm so depressed. I have to sell my PS2. <laughs> it's just like, oh, God. So this is the audience for this game, huh? Okay. <laughs> and we unfortunately sort of mocked that uh, mocked that line for the remainder of the time I was at GameStop. Anytime somebody would, like, say something or we would see something that would kind of make us a little sad, like, oh, I'm so depressed. <laughs> uh, but... Uh it's like I feel bad for the kid, but at the same time, uh, if you're depressed now, that Vincent Valentine game ain't gonna help because that yeah, was, yeah. was not good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That uh, that that game needs more than a remaster. <laughs> so I have heard. Uh, it was funny. Like I had a friend who played it, and it was like, it's, it's like a good Devil May Cry. It was like, um, no, not what? really. <laughs> it's like you. Hey, have you have you played Devil May Cry? Because I don't think I don't I don't think that's a I don't think that's a good analogy there, buddy. I don't think it's a good comparison. Right, right. Not even close. Yeah, yeah. And it, like, it, it, that also implies that Devil May Cry wasn't good. So it's like, wait, wait okay, well, all right, buddy, here we go. It's open it, up a whole can was, of worms. Uh, Dirge of Cerberus was clearly made to, meant to be played with a mouse and keyboard on a system that I don't think had either, or you could do USB, but it wasn't built for that. Yeah. Um, so it controlled like garbage, and the story wasn't that great. I mean, I'm the diehard Final Fantasy VII. I had uh, had trouble with that game. So the other thing about the Final Fantasy VII Rebirth news that I was wondering about is, man, if if they have something Red Thirteen related with the huge expensive collector's edition, then I'm gonna be out some money. Oh, I'm sure they'll find a way to take your money, Kelly. Don't you worry. <laughs> I'm. They've got your number pegged. Don't you worry. Oh, I, I'm just so worried about that because that—that's my favorite character of all time. Uh, what are what? they gonna do? Start squirreling money away. I hate to tell you, just start squirreling money away. <laughs> Life-size plush, two thousand dollars. Don't. We've actually started making red thirteens. They exist. Look at. Listen to the bark. Oh God. Okay. All right. Oh my God. Uh, oh, poor Kelly. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I apologize in advance for uh, Square Enix is um uh, just uh, taking advantage of, of of you with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, what's Griffith Academy about? It looks cute. Uh, it looks like it's another turn-based RPG, but it's a coming-of-age one. Um, let's see. It's in develop for development for PC, iOS, and Android. Uh, three main characters are sucked into the world of Caldria through a mystical book where they'll need to rescue fellow students of said Griffith, Griffith Academy and uncover memories of it. Which, does that mean the Academy has memories? Is it like Hogwarts? And it 
sort of is a living thing or something, or maybe, I don't know. I, I don't know either. Okay, good. We're in the same boat at least. Because, <laughs> yeah, I was kind of looking at this thing and I'm just like, I, I think this is one I'll end up taking a pass on. It just doesn't really, it's not really grabbing me looking at it. I'm always worried whenever a game's announced for Steam that's also on iOS and Android that usually means some type of uh, monetization or free-to-play aspects to it. Doesn't always, but enough for me to be hesitant. And right now, the only thing grabbing me is one of them's holding what looks to be a hockey stick. So, <laughs> uh, Ryan, I would say that's probably a pretty valid concern because, yeah, it. I I don't like to judge games in the way they look, but looking at it, yeah, I would imagine that's probably gonna end up being the case on it. Um, and more sad news: uh, a bunch of NIS uh, stuff is being delisted from PSN and the eShop. Um, it, probably because of the license from Katakawa Games that it was uh, divested into independent company Dragami Games last year, so um, the licenses are being I think shifted on a bunch of these. So, so here's the list: uh, Demon Gaze for the PS Vita, DOS on June 11th; God Wars Future Past for PS4 and Vita, DOS on June 15th; um, The Lost Child, DOS on PlayStation 4, Vita, and Switch on June 18th; God Wars Complete Legend, um, DOS on Nintendo Switch on August 30th; Natural Doctrine. Phil, was that a game that you hated? Or was yeah. that like okay? Yeah. It yeah. wasn't like a like a like um, Dark Souls uh, tactical RPG, basically. Something like that. Yeah, it was difficult. Yeah, it was brutal. And Wheels absolutely loved it, and Phil absolutely hated it. And every backtrack they would argue about that, and it was funny. <laughs> well, it, it's going away on September. 12th. Uh, Phil is shedding no tears. Um, and then Demon Gaze 2 on PS4 and Vita is delisting on November 13th. Uh, Alex Alex says it's the game Wheels loves, but everybody else hated. Yeah. And I, I know that happens a lot, but this one he was famous for. He was the only. Um, just a note, uh, The Lost Child, I think, is on sale now on both PlayStation and Switch. So I would jump on that because that is that's a dungeon crawler and that is a good game. Um God Wars is an okay game. Uh, that's a t- tactical RPG, though I would probably get the Switch version if you're going to pick up one, because that one is the has all the DLC and stuff. Um, and then Demon Case 2 pisses me off, because that was on sale last week on PS4, and I was like, eh, I don't know if I want to double dip of that or not. And now that it's being delisted, it's like, damn it! Darn but, Bobo. Um, I digress. Um, they're probably... They're probably going to relist all these under Dragami Games, I would think, but um, just a heads up. And Natural Doctrine was one of the few games that I could think of that reminded me of when I recently reviewed Redemption Redemption Reapers, which uh, for a small uh, period of time I fought for giving the highest review it would have gotten. So I kind of can relate to Wheels a bit, I guess. All right. Um, there is a new trailer out for Baldur's Gate 3, if that's your jam. Um, it introduces Lord Enver Gortash, who is voiced by Jason Isaacs. Um, uh, Kelly, you're definitely more of the uh, voice actor uh, knowledgeable person here on this podcast. Uh, I Do I know Jason Isaacs from something? Lucius he Malfoy. is, yeah, Lucius Malfoy from 
Harry Potter. Potter movies. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, there we go then. Uh, Gortash commands an army of mechanical warriors called the Steel Watchers, and he's risen to prominence in Baldur's Gate after the disappearance of Duke Ravengard. Uh, Baldur's Gate 3 is set to release on PC, Mac, and PS5 on August 31st of this year, with no release date yet for the Xbox Series version, though. I have every intention of playing that as soon as I can and getting a review up. So that is my jam. That's a CRPG. Gotta do it. Gotta get was, it done. I was gonna say, if Jason's not careful, he's gonna get typecast. It seems yeah. like he always plays a villain. Like he, he's a cool voice actor, though. And yeah. Actor. You know, he does have a villain. So that works. For half a second, I thought you meant me. I was like, what? What am I doing? <laughs> You're gonna get typecast as a villain, too. So what yes. other fun news? Is that it? Um, that that's all the news knows. Now we're kind of gonna go into a uh, new release date lightning round. Um, the is it the Valiant console release has been announced. Uh, this is a mix of uh, RTS action and RPGs gonna hit PS5 and Xbox next month. We uh, there's a for um, Xbox Classic uh, Enclave. Uh, it's getting an HD version. Ziggurat is remastering the 2002 action RPG uh, later this month, and that'll be available on PS4, Xbox One, and Nintendo Switch. And then the One Lonely Outpost is heading to Steam Early Access this month. This is a sci-fi farming sim. Um, you're trying to establish a new colony on a barren. Wow, that that sounds kind of up my alley. I need to check this out. Uh, my time at Sandrock, uh, fully launching in September, a crafting life sim RPG, uh, will exit early access on PC and will also arrive on consoles. I'm just going to assume that's all of them. And this next one, Kelly, is uh, right up my alley. Yeah, World of Horror finally has a full release date. This was the, this was that horror game that got felt like it was abandonware for the longest time, wasn't it? Yeah, it's been around for quite a while. It's that like what is it like? The, or it's got a two-bit aesthetic basically to it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it it looks cool. Um, apparently we forgot a headline. <laughs> My bad. Um, Beastie Ball, the turn-based RPG, uh, involves monster collecting and volleyball, and it's by the Chicory developer. Yeah, so uh, it's a uh, volleyball cool. with Pokemon. I just, eh, I guess. <laughs> I mean, that that developer makes some cool stuff. Uh, Ch- Chicory was one of Sam's favorite games i know that so uh, that has my curiosity piked for this uh, considering I, when i saw the trailer i was hoping for more volleyball uh, it looks fun to me all right lies of p um is got a firm september release date um, it's an action rpg and there's also a free demo available on pc and consoles i think chris was interested in this one yeah, we talked about it, it a month or two ago it's he a, like he was interested. Yeah, it's a Souls like that. It's Pinocchio themed, and I've I've heard good things about it. I've also heard a bunch of Souls veterans say that the combat's kind of jank, but um, your mileage may vary. I guess get the demo and try it out. Yeah. Um, we've got a new a new release date for Like a Dragon Gaiden. So this is the spinoff of uh, Yakuza that shows what Kiryu was. He was um, absent from the uh yakuza like a dragon and it is coming out on november 9th di- digital only and it's not going to see a physical release I, i'm sure I, there'll be an asian one that you can import probably yeah um the the internet was just kind of losing their mind about that well i mean better this than you know some of the options we got with the other yakuza games where we just didn't get them at all 
So yeah, years later. So, I mean, I, I, I used to be like one of those like physical or die sort of people, but it's like, you know, I'd rather get the game period than not. Oh yeah. I, I used to be the same way. Um, and I kind of changed my tune really when a bunch of stuff came out that just, I knew wasn't, I mean, with the delisting, yeah, I definitely, if I can get physical, I will, because mm-hmm. as we can see, stuff gets delisted, but I'm not going to die on that hill, because when you're physical forever and that you don't buy the game, all the publisher and developer sees is that you're just not buying the game. Yeah, yeah, they don't care if it's because there's a physical thing you get in your hand or not, they just see that they're not getting money for it, and they just, they're like, okay, well, clearly this isn't going to work, so, yeah. Yep. Oh, all right. Uh, you know what? I, I, I believe this is my very first uh, thing where we can do this. And unfortunately, Chris isn't here to do it, but we have a Kemco alert. Yeah. Cross Trails uh, g- g- got a Western release confirmed. It is a Kemco uh, 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 strategy RPG, and it's going to be launching on PC and consoles in all regions next month. Like a K Bar uh, Battle Fantasy. Oh, guys, it was so 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 weird to be able to be part of a Chemco alert. <laughs> uh, uh, it is a Chemco alert, but it's also the developer right on did the Mercenaries franchise. So yeah, uh, that that's why it looks like this. So maybe it's not going to be terrible. Yeah, no, no, the, I mean, not all Chemco alerts are necessarily bad. They just <laughs> they're, they're yeah famous for putting out a lot of mediocre games, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully not mediocre. Uh, we've got a September release date for Fay Farm, which is another farming sim available for PC and Switch. And finally, we've got Eternite set for September. Um, this is coming to PC and PlayStation. Uh, as I said, September It's an apocalyptic dating action game, and you're looking for the cure to a mysterious virus before time runs out. Mysterious. So mysterious. I'm sure it wasn't... Uh, yeah, never mind. <laughs> I'll just shut up. So yeah, um, yeah, and I believe that is all the new releases we've got listed here, or new release dates rather. Let's take a look at our new releases. So I was a little shocked. I looked over this this list a little earlier before the show, and uh, you know I don't keep up really well with my indie news, but apparently this uh, this company never heard of before, Blizzard Entertainment, released this uh, small title called Diablo Four. Uh, this week, so you want to check that out possibly. Diablo 4 is the latest title in Blizzard's hack and slash action RPG. It's a whole series. I know. Game is 70 years after events of Diablo 3 Reapers of Souls. Uh, it's now on the PC, the PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, Xbox One, Xbox Series XS for $69.99. And it is, you know, the release wasn't nearly as bad as people thought it was going to be. There has been some hiccups. There was one day where the servers were down for what felt like you know, almost an hour. Uh, outside of that, there has uh, also been a couple of times where you log, there's a bit of a queue um, just here and there, but not nearly as bad as everyone's kind of like saying it was going to be the apocalypse or anything like that. Anytime I've tried to get in, you know, I have not had a lot of time to play, but usually I'll get it in maybe uh, an hour or two um, here and there, and I've not had any issues at all logging in. In fact, I'm streaming this weekend. It's a probably a busy Saturday for them, and uh, the guys on the stream saw me just get right in. Moving on. Dungeon Travelers 2, the Royal Library, and the Monster Seal. Um, I don't know who keeps asking for these games. Published <laughs> published, published by Shiraview and developed by Aqua Plus and Sting. Uh, this is uh, 1999. This is available uh, on the PC, previously released on the PlayStation Vita. 
and it says um, there is available Joren. It says the Joren platform has separate adult and mainstream versions. The mainstream site still contains screenshots that may not be safe for work. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason why is Dungeon Trailers 2, the Royal Library, and the Monster Seal is set in the kingdom of uh, Romulea, where monsters have started an uprising against humanity. Players control uh, Freyd, Freed, an adventurer who's sent to quell the uprising by building a party from 16 potential female members who can be rescued, defeated, or otherwise recruited. Uh, this is what the city demands. And if that wasn't enough for you, Dungeon Trailers 2-2, The Fallen Maidens, and The Book of Beginnings. <laughs> developed published by the same peeps it's also uh, been released for 1999 10% launch discount um, and uh, this uh, follows it's a what if sequel to the Dungeon Travelers I'm just imagining somewhere somebody demanded a sequel a what if scenario to Dungeon Traveler 2 because the story was just so deep <laughs> they were, but what if what if so with all the games that exist out there that would have interesting and varied what-if scenarios, Dungeon Travelers is the one that they picked. Dragon. And this picture, I probably shouldn't put it on Twitch, um, uh, but the picture on our website, uh, like literally it's this demon lady showing her bum to the camera wearing what looks to be like a G-string and a lot of tattered clothing. Um, it's it's just, it just, it just cracks me up. And look, if you're into that, knock yourself out. I just, I, I just giggle at the at the idea that this this is this is and it's a dungeon crawler so it's, it's got all these straight like when you think dungeon crawlers i don't think deep stories right you're usually different like etrian odyssey does not have a deep story right and then you have a heavily uh fan servicey type of deal and those are rarely known for their deep and thought-provoking storylines it's like getting caught with the playboy magazine and your wife's like what are you doing i'm like i'm reading this for the articles right sure you are but to think that they made a sequel because that story was just so deep <laughs> that the fans demanded it, but there was even enough people like sequels never rarely sell more than the than the original. They usually sell less. So there was enough people buying the first copy. <laughs> I okay, I'm gonna get off of it. Harmony: The Fall of Reverie, uh, published and developed by Don't Nod on the PC and the Nintendo Switch, available on Steam and the Nintendo eShop for $24.99 with a 10% launch discount. It's a visual no uh, novel narrative adventure that follows Polly. She returns home from the near-future Mediterranean island of Atina to search for her mother. Upon her arrival, she learns of the connected realm of reverie and its aspirations of humanity. She is told that she needs to restore the troubled realm and its balance. And in the process, uh, cementing which aspiration gets to rule over it. So you can check it out. We have an Adventure Corner coverage on this game. It has a very nice, uh, unique uh, aesthetic to it. I highly recommend you check it out if you're into visual novels. And then last but not least is Lubate, Summer of the Gods. We're released on the PC, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and Nintendo Switch, published by Xseed Games and Marvelous, developed by Marvelous. And you can find this on the Steam, PlayStation Store, Xbox Store, and Nintendo eShop for $49.99. Uh, Loop 8, Summer of the Gods, is billed as a coming-of-age adventure and is set in a world where uh, Kagai have brought humanity close to extinction. It follows Nini as she returns to Ashihara, one of humanity's last sanctuaries. His special demon side ability allows him to reset the world, letting him and his allies relive their summer until they manage to defeat Kagai or are completely defeated. And we have a nice little YouTube video. You can go and check that out over there. And we have sales links right there, very convenient for you, on our website at rpgamer.com. Woohoo! Um, speaking of harmony, the fall of reverie, we do have an adventure for this by uh, Alex Fuller. Um, 
I, I think he enjoyed it. It's supposed to be a really cute story. Um, <laughs> that's pretty much all I've got to say, say about it. Go, go read the article. It's it's a f fun do article. It. Do it. Just read the article. Do it. Um, and then we talked about this earlier. We've got a Lies of P impression from Marillo Zebinato. I apologize if I butchered your name. Uh, this is that Souls-like Pinocchio game that we were talking about. So if you're on the fence about that, you can see what he has to say for the demo build. And then we have a... Excuse me, brain fart. We have a review for Kurdo no Ken Blade of Darkness. Kurdo no Ken. What, what is this for? Is this a retro? Yeah, this is a retro review for the, the PlayStation. Um, he gave it a 3.5 out of 5, saying that it stretched its world building surprisingly well, has unique combat graphics, and is ahead of its time on health recovery options. But he also says it's aimless and has poor documentation of practically everything as a PS1 game tends to have. Um, it's kind of neat, though. Hmm. Yeah, I'm looking at the sprite work in this, and it looks pretty nice. Kurodo no Ken just sounds sounds familiar to me for some reason, and I can't remember why. But so um, that's it for our editorials. Cool, cool, cool. Well, I think that brings it uh, close to a wrap here. Uh, what uh, our question of the week again is: What summer game fest game had you the most hype? Again, head over to rpgamer.com and leave that comment on our latest podcast, or email us at podcast at rpgamer.com. We'd love to hear what you have to say about our question of the week. Uh, Want to thank, of course, as always, Miss uh, Miss Kelly uh, for joining you. us today, along with uh, Mr. Jason and Miss Ryan. As always, is a pleasure. I appreciate that you guys let me come on board and hijack Mr. Privateer's podcast from time to time. I always and enjoy the experience. And a uh, happy 100th birthday to Anna's grandfather. That's why they're on vacation. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, happy birthday. I'm sure uh, he, he listens uh, to this every birthday. week. Well, I mean, he's got to get that uh, Dungeon Crawler news. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> got to hear about Lies of P. But uh, yeah. but yeah, uh, she posted the the banner, or Anna posted the banner to Twitter. Happy 100th. Granddad, love your family. And it's very wholesome. So... Man has lived a century. Awesome. Well, may you have many more years. But until next time, we're going to go ahead and say thank you guys so much for listening to our uh, to our podcast. And we'll see you next week here at twitch.tv forward slash RPGamer for more of the RPG cast. Have a good day. Bye. Adios. Bye.